Good morning. Welcome to all of you who have gathered here in person to worship. Welcome to those of you who are joining us for worship via the live stream. On this first Sunday of Lent, as the weather begins to be nicer and nicer, it is good to gather together. And it's also the season, well, it's the season of spring. It's also the season where we're looking toward Easter. Easter is coming up a couple weeks from today, and, and so we celebrate, as we do every year and really every day in our lives, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be returning to Matthew chapter 27 and continuing our Centered on the Cross of Christ series. And this evening, or, or whenever you watch the second sermon, um, we'll also be looking at this same text, but from a little bit of a different angle. Looking ahead, there's the Palm Sunday service next Sunday morning, the Friday after that on Good Friday. We will gather at 7 o'clock for our annual Good Friday service as usual. Uh, you can register for that, same capacity as our services. And then on Easter, we will be gathering to give thanks for Christ's resurrection. To help us as a church focus on the cross and resurrection of Jesus in this season, uh, beginning this Friday and then through the Monday after Easter, we're going to have videos on our YouTube channel, just brief devotionals. So a scripture reading, a couple thoughts or questions, and a brief prayer. We did something much like this for Advent and Christmas, and we're going to do it again as we look toward Easter. Just a few videos from church members to help us look toward and celebrate the coming, the death, and most of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Children's Church is meeting again today, so during the song before the sermon, children are invited to go out. They'll gather in a classroom on the south side of church, can be picked up from there afterwards. Um, we do ask that you register if you're planning to attend that. Sunday School will be meeting after the service today from 1045 to 1115. Um, Sunday School is going to take the next couple weeks off because there's a number of schools that are on spring break, but Children's Church is planning to meet the next couple weeks. The Gathering. We'll be gathering tonight at 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall. That's our youth group for high schoolers. All who are in high school are welcome to attend. And now the, uh, the praise team is going to come up. and We'll turn our eyes toward the Lord and gather to worship him, to hear his word, to bring him our prayers and our praises. And all of you, please stand to receive God's greeting. Receive this greeting from the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present evil age, and all of that according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And let's together praise Jesus our Messiah.
Because Jesus is our Savior, we come to him with hope, hope that he forgives us, hope that he loves us. Because our hope is in the Lord, we'll now confess our sins to him and ask for forgiveness. We'll do this today through reading Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for morning, more than watchmen wait for morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. We've confessed our sins, and when we confess, the Lord is faithful to forgive because of the work of Christ. We'll together sing, Jesus paid it all, to remember and celebrate that the Lord forgave us in Christ Jesus.
we gather by God's grace because Jesus did pay it all for us to be connected to the Lord. In just a moment, we'll go to our Lord in prayer, but first a joyful announcement. Uh, Byron and Kathy Plate welcome their first child this Friday. Amelia Rose, mom and baby, are doing well, so we give thanks for Amelia's birth, and we are, as always, grateful to the Lord for all the ways that he provides for us. Let's pray. O Lord and our God, we are grateful that you have met us here this morning. We're grateful that we have this opportunity to sing your praises together. We look forward to hearing your word and and through your spirit having it applied to our lives. We are glad to be able to bring what is on our hearts to you through prayer. And Father, today we give you thanks for life. We're grateful for the gift of Amelia Rose to the Plate family. We are thankful for all of the children, all of the young people in our midst, and we pray that you help us to be good stewards of this gift and this opportunity for us to teach and to train and to to lead your young ones to grow up in you. And Father, we are grateful for those who are part of our body at every stage of life, from the beginning to the end. We are so grateful that you walk with us through these days and that you give us the opportunity to care for each other at every age and every stage. Father, at every age and every stage, we face particular difficulties, and we pray that out of your compassion, you help the poor and afflicted. You comfort the lonely and the grieving. You you give your peace to the sick and the dying that you bring justice and healing to the victims of injustice and war and and that you be with in your power and your grace, you be with all those who suffer. We all carry burdens, some of them we share openly, some of them we, we keep to ourselves, but help all of us to cast our cares on you and to experience your care for us. We think of those who were close to Dick Brichta especially, and and all of those who are in a season of grief and loss. Be powerfully with us, even as we shed tears and walk through these dark valleys. Grant Ray Rosendahl healing, and and give him and Sharon energy and even joy as as they face these ongoing days with Ray still in the hospital. And Lord of Providence, we pray for our country and for all the nations of the world. We are in this swirling vortex of pandemic troubles and political battles and challenge after challenge after challenge. We mourn the violence we heard of in Atlanta earlier this week and the continued restlessness and anger and and trouble we hear in the world around us. We pray that you inspire the hearts and minds of our leaders so so that they may work for righteousness and so that they can bring justice and order, liberty and peace. Lord, we ask that you work in this world so that it it reflects your ways. And our, our Lord and our Savior, we pray too that you work in your church as we struggle through. Have mercy on us in our weakness. Heal our divisions, scatter our fears, increase our courage, strengthen our faith. As we think of our ministries here at Faith, we pray that you bless our children and young people as they gather to learn about you and and also to enjoy just being together again and getting more into a, a regular routine of gathering. Help us to plan and to prepare well in these coming months as as things open up more and life inches back toward normal. We pray that you you help us to be able in this time to recommit ourselves to you to Renew our own families and our church family and our practices of the faith. And Lord, we pray that you continue to help us love you and love our neighbors more. Amen. Let's continue to praise the Lord together. We'll stand and sing when morning gilds the skies.
I uh, forgot to announce before that song that children were dismissed for children's church. I think everybody figured that out, but if you didn't, now is the time to uh, step out, take children ages three through kindergarten to children's church down there for, uh, for a Bible lesson, some singing, and a, a bit of activity today. Before we hear God's word this morning, let's again go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we do pray again today that you help us to be centered on your cross. Father, help us to lift our eyes again to the reality of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, crucified, suffering for us. And Lord, we pray as we work through this text together that you help this to be a, a sobering reminder of how much it cost for us to be saved and also a joyful reminder of how much you value us, that, that you do so much for us. Lord, we ask that you work through your word and your spirit to lead, to guide, to encourage, and to feed us this morning. Amen. So in the last season, we've been working through the last few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapters 26 to 28. We're calling this sermon series, Centered on the Cross of Christ, because as we walk through this season of Lent looking toward Easter, we want more and more to have all of our lives centered on the cross of Christ and grounded in the work of Christ and also rejoicing in the grace of Christ given to us. This, uh, this terrible story of Christ's suffering that we will read today is a, an entry point, a doorway, a means for us to enter into the great story of God's redemptive work for us. In the last bits of this story, we've seen Jesus be condemned by the religious leaders. He's been condemned by the political leaders. And now today we come to the story where he is actually crucified. This is a, a difficult story to hear in some respects, and yet it is, it is a story of God's grace. So now hear the word of the Lord for us today. We'll read Matthew 27 from verse 27 to 44. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes, and then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. A number of years ago, I had a conversation with someone who was really into scuba diving, and he told me about a number of aspects of scuba diving, but one thing that particularly caught my attention is that as you go deeper into the water, the colors start to fade. The yellows and the reds go first, but as you, as you go down and down, more and more, as, as the light can't penetrate, more and more things get darker, yes, but they also get less colorful. And so you, you go down, and when you get down to about 20 feet, you can see just in shades of gray, there's no color left. 
Now, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels, the Gospel writers often go to great pains to highlight how, how the people around Jesus, they can see, but they can't really see. They see what, what's happening. They see the surface level of events, but they really don't understand who Jesus is or what he is doing. They see only in shades of gray. And that is especially true in texts like the text we read this morning. The soldiers, the, the people who pass by, the religious leaders, even, even the two men who are crucified on each side of Jesus, they, again and again, Matthew tells us, they hurl insults at Jesus and they mock him. They beat him, they, they make him suffer, they crucify him. But, but again and again, the text brings us to these words. They hurled insults at him. They mocked him. And then they mocked him some more. And then another group comes and mocks him. And then another group comes and mocks him. All of these people look at this, look at this man Jesus on the cross and they think, well, what a failure he is. And they hurl their insults. And they mock and mock. Well, this guy who I talked to about scuba diving, he talked about how after, after a few dives, he got himself a huge handheld waterproof, of course, a huge handheld waterproof spotlight. And then when he would go down and down and down, he would bring that light with him. And then the colors that were always there, but that he couldn't see before, the vibrant reds, the yellows, the blues, and, and all the other colors I don't even know the names for, but the fish, the coral, the rocks, all of that with with this light, would reveal the life that was there. What the Gospel of Matthew is and what the Scriptures are are a light that show us the reality of this world. This world often looks like it's just shades of gray, but there is, there is a vibrancy and a power and a life to God's plan that, that we often don't see. Maybe we, we don't see it especially when we read stories like this one about the cross of Christ, but but in our lives, too, there is life that, that we just don't see. And so what Matthew wants us to do as we read this story, what the Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew wants us to do as we hear this story, is to see not just the shades of gray, but to see the color, to see the life, to see the vibrancy of, of this work of Christ, even as he is mocked by those around him. So this morning, we're going to walk through this text in three parts. We'll look at three different ways that Jesus is mocked, and then we'll talk about how those mockers are really, really speaking the truth. And Matthew will shine light on how that gives us hope for today. So first, we're going to talk about how Jesus is our king. Jesus, he's our king. At the beginning of our reading for today, and this is from verses 27 to 37, the, the soldiers, they mock Jesus. Now, if, you, if you've been here the last few weeks or if you're familiar with this story, you know that Jesus at this point has been condemned by the Jewish religious leaders, and then he's in the text just before this condemned by Pilate, the Roman governor, and now he's handed over to the Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers are... Well, they didn't have a good relationship with the Jewish people around them. There was always friction. There was always trouble. And, and so for them to get a chance to, to take a Jewish leader out back and have their way with him was, well, it was a good fringe benefit of the job. And so they dive into that enthusiastically. And they, they drag Jesus back into the praetorium. And the praetorium is the governor's official residence where only Roman officials and Roman soldiers were allowed to go. There are no witnesses back there. And then they strip Jesus naked. They make a crown of thorns. They push it on his head. They, they put him in a scarlet robe as a joke. They give him a staff and they, they start to say to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spit on him. They take the staff away from him and they beat him again and again and again. And they, they mock him. King, King of the Jews. And then when they've had their fun, they, they take all that off Jesus, they put his own clothes back on him, and they, they force him out to the place where they're going to crucify him. And they lift him up on the cross, and, and on that cross, they put, a, they put a mocking sign. This is Jesus, 
king of the Jews. And for the Romans, this is one big joke. Hey, he's the king. He's the king of the Jews. We'll show him who's really in charge. We Romans, we're in charge. Look what happens to the king of the Jews. This is the world in shades of gray and black. And it looks terrible, and it is terrible. To die in this way, to be humiliated, to be crucified, and to be mocked the whole time is, is terrible beyond our experience or understanding. But the gospel doesn't tell us this story to make us feel bad. The gospel tells us this story to shine a light on a reality in our lives. And those soldiers who say, Hail, hail, King of the Jews, or they're saying something that's much more true than what they realize because Jesus is the King of the Jews. And He's the King of the world and He's the King of the universe. He is the eternal Son of God, He belongs on the throne of heaven. And yes, in this story, at this moment, he is, he is on the cross. He is beaten and insulted and mocked and crucified. He is on the cross, but he is not powerless. He is not having all these things happen to him without, without his will. He is the one who is in control at this point, and he is the one and the only one who has the royal authority to say that yes, I will go up on that cross. Jesus is the crucified king. And despite all appearances, his kingdom will outlast Rome. And his kingdom will outlast every single kingdom of this earth. And Jesus endures all of that. All of that suffering and all of that mockery so that, so that he can bring us into his kingdom of joy. John Calvin, in his commentary on this text, focuses especially on that, that Jesus being stripped and beaten, and, and he's, put up on the he's put up on the cross without any or without many clothes on. And Calvin focuses on that to say, Jesus, he suffered, he was humiliated, he took that mockery so that we could be clothed in his righteousness and his goodness. Christ, Christ was mocked so that we could live in God's kingdom. Christ was mocked so that we could find freedom. As Jesus was mocked, as he was made fun of, as he was beaten and humiliated and went through all of this, he embraced that for us. Now, our, our sufferings are are not in the same category as Jesus' sufferings. But let me ask you to reflect on this. Have you ever suffered for the name of Jesus? Have you ever suffered for following Christ? Have you ever been mocked for your faith? Have you ever felt like at your workplace you couldn't, you couldn't really talk about Jesus, or if you did talk about Jesus, you were... You were made fun of. Have you ever lost a friend or, or lost a job or, or even just had some misery, felt like you didn't fit because you belonged to Jesus? Many of us, most of us have probably had that kind of experience. And in one way, Jesus' experience here in this story should lead us to expect something similar. Following Jesus usually makes our lives harder, not easier. When we follow Jesus, we sometimes get teased or taunted, and that, that's par for the course. But Jesus' suffering on the cross also, also puts us in a place that even when we are mocked, we can bear it because, because Jesus paid it all for us. People can make fun of us, sure. But that doesn't really matter because we are safe in the kingdom of the Lord. And this is a truth that, that we can preach to ourselves and that I think more and more we need to preach to ourselves. 
We need to be holding on to God's word and we need to be perpetually shining this light on our lives so that instead of being discouraged by the mockery of the world, we see the vibrancy and the color and the depth and the power of God's plan. And so find ways. Find ways to preach to yourself and, and to have preached to you the reality that Jesus is the king. Maybe you want to Write a verse with some erasable markers on your bathroom mirror so every morning you, you get reminded that Jesus is king. Maybe you'd benefit in all kinds of ways from having just Jesus is king on your, on your car dashboard or, or above your speedometer. Maybe you need a, a, a necklace or, or something on a keychain or just some little way to help, help Scripture be continually active in your life so that you do not see just in the shades of gray that the world does but so that you see by the true light that Jesus is the king, and so we endure. So that's the soldiers on the way to the cross, but once Jesus is on the cross, another group of mockers come along, and these are, these are just a couple verses, verses 38 to 40. And the focus here shifts from the king to the temple. As Jesus hangs on the cross, a well, all kinds of people pass by. And the Romans always picked really prominent public places to crucify people. They would crucify people on a hill by a main road or, or somewhere else very obvious. And part of that was the Romans sending the message, we are in charge, and if you don't like that, we can do this to you. Stay in line. But another side of that was that it gave regular people it gave passers-by the opportunity also to mock and to hurl insults at these criminals, at these people who were being crucified. At least, at least I'm not the one up there, so I may as well have some fun with him while he's up there. And so these passers-by, they've, well, as cruel as it is, they too mock Jesus. And they've They've probably heard some garbled reports of his activity the last few weeks. Presumably, many of them would have, would have heard Jesus' teacher or seen him around town. And, and they heard something about how he said he was going to, if they destroyed the temple, then, then he could build it up again in three years. And the temple was a building that took decades, decades to build. And Jesus comes along, and I think I said that wrong a minute ago, but he said he'll build that temple in three days. And the people think that's hilarious. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it up again in three days. Why don't you come down off the cross? Why don't you show us your power? Why don't you rebuild your own body? You're going to rebuild the temple. Ha! 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 And again, these people are seeing in shades of gray. A few days before, Jesus had stood in, in the temple court, and he had made a rather, rather cryptic statement about the temple being destroyed and rebuilt, but people had totally misunderstood it. Jesus was standing there, and he says, well, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it again in three days. And naturally enough, most people thought he was talking about the building. It'd be like someone standing in our parking lot and and we think they'd be saying, well, if you knock this down, I'll build it again in three days. And we might justifiably laugh at them. But that's only if you're seeing in, in gray here. What Jesus is actually talking about is not the physical building. What he's talking about is his own body. He's talking about himself. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll get this sense that the temple there in Jerusalem is really, really important. And it is. It is. But the temple is important not because it's fancy, not because it's this gathering place, not, not because of anything like that. The temple is important because it is where God, where the holy Lord God can meet with his unholy people. The temple matters because it's where God draws near and graciously makes a way for his people to connect with him. The building the building really isn't that important, cosmically speaking. And when Jesus stands by that building, 
well, it's not the first temple. The temple had been built and destroyed and built and destroyed and built again. And, and that temple that Jesus was standing by was only going to stand another 40 years or so. And then it was gone forever. That old, imperfect temple was passing away. And Jesus was saying that he, in his work, was going to build a new temple himself where we could meet with God. And so as Jesus is suffering on the cross, what he is in fact doing is rebuilding the temple. As Jesus' own body is destroyed by the beatings and the mocking and all of the things, as his, as his person is destroyed, his person is becoming the doorway for us to meet with the Lord. That's what the light of the gospel shows us, that, that we don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to go to any particular place on this world to draw near to God because in Jesus, God draws near to us. Through the suffering of Christ, we are made whole and we are brought to a place, to a place to where no matter where we physically are, we are able to live with the Lord as his beloved children because Jesus is with us. Have you ever been belittled or made fun of or mocked for who you are? You ever been mocked yourself? For some of us that happened or that happens on the playground or in the school hallway where where our clothes or our way of speaking or our grades or our athletic abilities or complete lack thereof or the way we walk becomes an opportunity for others to mock us. For others of us, this happens at our workplace where, where we're never good enough, where our performance never measures up or where, or where we're one of those goody two-shoes, huh? For some of us, this happens in our families, uh, a parent, a uh, spouse, a uh, a child continually cuts us down, tells us we aren't good enough, tells us we're a joke. And maybe, maybe worst of all, some of us carry our own mockers right up here in our head. And no matter what we do, no matter how well we perform, no matter what we do, we, we still have this voice that tells us, whoa, you're not good enough. You thought you could do that? Obviously not. You are such a failure, or a fool, or you know what that voice in your head says. Many of us, many of us carry really deep pain from being mocked over the years. And we've had maybe one experience or maybe many experiences that, that have reshaped the trajectory of our lives and brought us to a place where, where we feel so low where we feel so condemned, where, where we just don't know how we could ever be made whole. We are mocked. And we've, we've come to accept that. And ultimately, I would say that's a spiritual pain that we bear. All of our relational breakdowns with each other, all of, all of the ways that ourselves splinter and fragment, they are they all ultimately trace back to the brokenness of our relationship with the Lord. And everything else, all the other ways that we're mocked, all the other ways that we're broken, all the other, all the other ways that we break ourselves in this life come down to a breakdown in our connection with the Lord. And there is no earthly solution to that. There isn't. Even the best societies fall apart. Even the most well-intentioned of people building the, the most well-intentioned of systems still, still generate breakdowns, still leave people hurting and damaging each other and still leave us imperfect and in desperate need of healing. And Jesus Christ is the temple. He is the hospital. He is, he is the place where we go to find true spiritual healing. Jesus took on our infirmities. He took on our weaknesses. He took on all the troubles that we experience. And he endured through them. 
And he endured far more than we will ever understand. Jesus was broken and pulled apart in ways that we could not stand even for an instant. And yet he took it. And he carried it in his body and he bore it so that he could do away with it. And so that his body could become the place where we could go to find healing, to be, to be finally free from those mocking voices. In the destruction of his body on the cross, Jesus constructs a place for us to be free. Jesus stays up on that cross, not because he has to, but because he is busy building something. Jesus' time on that cross, as painful as it is, was incredibly constructive. So when you hear the voice of that bully, of that boss, of that family member, or you hear that voice in your own head that condemns you, that says you could never be good enough, well, then you can say, yep, but in Christ, in Christ, I am made good enough. In Christ, my relationship with the Lord is healed. And so even if it's not here yet, even if I can't see it today, I can be totally confident that the Lord will heal me and he will heal all of my relationships. Because Jesus is our temple, we have hope. Now again, this is a reality that we need to preach to ourselves. We can't just read through the Bible once, read a few verses, or hear a sermon, and, and all of a sudden we're different and those voices don't matter to us anymore. This is something that we have to be in God's word and in prayer again and again and again. The wounds that many of us bear are so deep that they, they can hardly be healed overnight. Some of us bear wounds so deep that they can hardly be healed in this whole life. But we need to keep hearing this good news by Jesus' suffering, we are healed. In the wounds of Jesus, we find the restoration that we need. And so find ways to proclaim to yourself. When, when you hear those external or internal voices condemning you and mocking you, find ways to turn back to Jesus and to recognize that in Jesus, you have a way to truly connect with the Lord. One final truth from this text. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. In verses 41 to 44, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, they all get together and, and they probably kind of processed out to where Jesus was on the cross. And, and they gather there and, and they mock Jesus too. He saved others. Let him save himself. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him, if God still wants him. He claimed he was the son of God. I don't see God saving him. Rescue yourself, Jesus, if you can. And so these men who should be, should be men of virtue, should be people who you'd look up to, they, they debase and disgrace themselves by going outside of the city walls and, and mocking a man being crucified. Save yourself if you can. What a disgrace. So our eyes, our eyes have two different types of what are called photoreceptor cells. They have rods and cones. And rods are what our eyes use when, when there's not much light. They enable us to see in the darkness. But rods can't absorb color. And from a physical perspective, that's why when the light starts to fade, the colors fade for us, because the rod simply, simply can't process color. But the cones, the cones can only function when there's more light, but they're the ones that really bring vibrancy to our vision. It's those, those cells that we call cones that actually enable us to see the light and to see color. In this text, the people who Matthew presents to us bit by bit, they don't have real spiritual vision. All they have are, are spiritual rods, so to speak, that all they can see is the gray. And until the Lord provides, provides a different kind of, of spiritual cell, a different way of seeing, none of us can really see Jesus. Appearances are deceiving in this text. 
Jesus could save himself. He could rescue himself. He is the Son of God. He earlier claims, I am the Son of God. And and by using that language, he claims that that he is God, that he is on a level with, with the Lord of the universe, that he created all things, that he has power over all things, and that is simply the truth. No embellishment, no exaggeration. Jesus has all power. And so there is nothing that could keep him on that cross except himself. Jesus, Jesus is on that cross because he loves us and because he wants to rescue us. And it is precisely by not rescuing himself that he is able to rescue us. Christ is on that tree for you and for me. And yes, the soldiers put him there and put the nails through his hands and feet and and lifted him up. But really, it was Jesus himself who made those decisions. Jesus himself who arranged matters so that he would be on that cross. And Jesus himself who endured every moment up there for us to save us. That's not what it appeared to be. But for those who have eyes to see, that is the truth. And today, it's not always how it appears to be. The the cause of Christ, the cause of the church, the cause of his people often seems weak and struggling. It's easy for us to see the bad and hard to see the good, but but appearances, just like they were 2,000 years ago, appearances are deceiving. John Calvin, going back to him, in his commentary on this text, he tells us, do not trust in present appearances. Do not estimate the power of God by what you see around you right here and now. Do not think that God's grace is determined by what you can see with your eyes in your time at this moment. And so even if life looks really dark and gray, we should not think that God's grace is not at work in us. Even if we are at a point where we feel so low, where we feel so so down in the dark waters that we can't see a thing, spiritually speaking, even then, Jesus is our Savior. Even then. And we we need this light. We need the scriptures to tell us the story of God's work in us so we can shine it on our lives and say, I see it now. I see how God is at work in this gray and dark and dreary world. But along with the word, we need God's spirit to come in and to transform us, to give us a different kind of spiritual vision so that we can see not just what is on the surface, but so that we can see the deeper reality that we are saved by the work of Christ. And so preach the word to yourself. Find ways to get it deeply into your life and in your heart. But but along with that, pray for the Holy Spirit. If you are in a dark and dry season, pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so you can see what is really going on. And even if you are in a good season, in a a season of light these days, well, well, appreciate the light and also pray that the Lord works in you so that when things are a little darker, When you're a bit more in the depths, even then you will be able by his light, through his equipping, to see his grace. We look to Jesus on the cross, and despite all appearances, we see our king who reigns over all the earth. We see a wonderful new temple where we can meet with the Lord forever. And we see our savior who gave his life for us. Jesus is our king our temple, and our Savior. Let's pray. Father, in between our sin and our ignorance, it is hard for us to see you. Often we don't don't entirely We don't entirely want to do things your way. We want to hold on to bits and pieces of the darkness. And often, even if we want to see things your way, our 
our lives, our abilities, our circumstances, they, they get in the way. And so, Father, we pray that you set us free so that we can see you. Shine light on this world and on our lives so that we can see how you are working out our salvation. Lord, when we doubt your power, reassure us that you, that you are the king who reigns over all things. Lord, when we doubt our connection to you, when we feel condemned and mocked and unworthy, help us to recognize that Christ has made us worthy and that he has clothed us in his righteousness and goodness. And Father, when we, when we question our salvation, when we question whether any of this is true or whether any of it matters, when, when we just don't get it, then we ask that you work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit so that we do get it. Help us to grasp how deep and wide and high, how deep and high and wide and long is your love for us in Jesus Christ. And help us to live and to thrive and to rejoice in that love that surpasses all our knowledge. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We're going to stand now and we're going to sing the song, Dwell in me, O blessed spirit. And let's sing this song as a, as a request for the Lord to shine his light on our lives and transform us spiritually so that we can see how he is at work. Let's stand and sing. After the service, Dirk Glauke, our council VP, is going to offer a brief update from council. Uh, if you need to step out, grab kids from Children's Church or something, you'll have the opportunity to do that. Um, so after the doxology, please sit down. Don, if you can give us a song or two of postlude, and then Dirk will come up and make, an, make those announcements from council, and then we'll all be dismissed. So if you need to step out, feel free to do so during those first song or two of the postlude. But now receive this blessing. May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go in the peace of the Lord.